Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Now we're going to have a um, slight digression from our series in Acts with Pastor Rob. Um, he's actually unwell at present and is just um, at home recuperating. Um, it, it's um, not a dire situation, um, but it's been a persistent one um, for him. And he, he just has a, has a uh, I don't even know how to describe it, a condition that will flare up at various times, um, um, particularly when there's a lot on, particularly um, can be stress-related. And so um, he's just in a situation like that at the moment. And so we ask you to keep him in prayer as um, you're praying, and especially with regards to the prayer list. And so um, we got the call yesterday, and I said that I would step in and share such as the Lord has given me. And so um, we're going to take a, a digression from Acts, and we're going to be just looking at a few verses from First Peter chapter 5 which I really kind of just on my heart, um, especially in terms of where we're at as a church. And um, as you turn there, also put your finger in Matthew chapter 4, because we will be reflecting on some of that also today. And I'm um, seeing this very much as, uh, as an as exhortation. Um, it's going to be much more devotional. By the grace of God, it's not going to be long. Famous last words. And um, I'm going to be asking the praise team to come back when we're finished, just so we can have a, a time of ministry um, together. Let's pray. Lord God, your word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our paths. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you that through your word we are able to know you. Lord, we worship you. We worship you. We worship you, Lord God. Not merely with the singing of songs, but with the, the humbling of ourselves, the attitude of an adoring heart and so Lord we pray that you would just fill our hearts with your spirit today Lord as we consider as we consider you as we consider ourselves in the light of you and who you really are Lord may we be encouraged May we be strengthened. May we be built up, edified. May we be more established. May we be focused 
unfaltering. As we seek to glorify you. In Jesus name. Amen. We're in a war. I once heard a, um, one of our Calvary pastors from out in California. I can see his face. His name escapes me. It'll come to me in a minute. And he made this statement at a pastor's conference that really remained with me. It remained with me. He said, too often as Christians, we find ourselves with a vacation mentality in the middle of a war zone. A holiday mentality in the middle of a war zone. I mean, how right would it look if you were to be watching a, a war film? You're on the beaches of Dunkirk. Allied forces are advancing against the enemy. And you were to see deck chairs and sunbeds amidst the soldiers carrying their weapons and heavy artillery. You see people turning over and applying sunshine, suntan lotion. It wouldn't make sense, right? There'd be something wrong with that picture. And the reality is that we as believers, by default, are in a war. Whether we appreciate or understand that or not, whether we care to accept that or not, we are in a war. And so how are we truly supposed to fight? How are we to wage this war that we're in? Spiritual war is a fundamental aspect of the Christian life fundamental aspect of the Christian life. It is something that we must be aware of and alert to and also responsive to. You see, the unresponsive attitude leaves us in that place where we are in that holiday mentality whilst in the middle of the war zone. And so, lethargy, procrastination, that laziness. My grand used to say to me, you're too lazadaisical. I had no idea what it meant, but I knew it weren't good. And it sounded like it had something to do with laziness. <laughs> we can't be lazadaisical. As Christians. And so how are we to rightly respond? Well, let me just say from the outset, contrary to popular and common teaching with the church, the response in terms of waging the Christian warfare, dealing with spiritual warfare, is not to shout at demons, um, to bind principalities and powers, um, to take authority over territorial spirits. 
I just set my stool out from the gate, right? Okay. Um, it is not those things. In that, those things are a distortion of biblical truth. Those teachings have come about by reason of doctrine, um, no, scripture being taken out of context. And so if you take the, the scriptures with regard to binding and loosing and you look at them in their context, it's actually dealing with relational issues and authoritative responses to relational issues, especially in regards to forgiveness. Matthew 16, Matthew 18. That's not my focal point, so we're not going to jump into that today. But you look at it in its context, that's what it's talking about. Authoritative responses to relational infractions. Where there's breakdowns in relationships and there's unforgiveness and so on, that's how you deal with it. And those terms were used as legal terms, binding and loosing. Yes, we are in a warfare. And we do know from Ephesians 6 that there are powers and principalities Rulers of wickedness in high places. But we don't have any examples in scripture or instructions that instruct us to speak to the powers of the air and to bind them. Now, I've been a Christian over 25 years. And for probably about at least 12 of that 25 years, I was actively involved in binding powers and principalities one's over Soho one's over Brixton um, even as far as Toxteth and Mossside Hansworth multitude of, of powers and principalities hmm. now if it was just down to my persistence alone well, things would have changed. Brixton would be like Harrow right about now. <laughs> and I, I, don't, I don't say that lightly to make a mockery. You know, sometimes if you don't laugh, you cry, right? But it, it, it demonstrates the fact that myself, along with a multitude of others who engaged in that, were flawed in our thinking. Because you would think that if we were doing something seriously and accurately according to Scripture in the authority of the Lord, then things would change. Like those principalities that were bound, would they not stay bound? Would not Soho be like just the most beautiful place in the center of London right about now? No more sex shops and uh, prostitution. And So it shows that there's a flaw in the thinking. There's a flaw in the doctrine. But there is a right way to wage the warfare. There is a right way to go about this war. And we see it repeated and exemplified in scripture. We see that our attitude is to be humble. That our approach is to be honest. And our actions are to be hard-bodied. Humble, honest, and hard-bodied. I'll unpack those, especially the last ones, for those who are not familiar with that phrase. First Peter, chapter 5. 
Therefore, verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. So often when we find ourselves in difficult situations, testing situations, trying situations, we can find ourselves in a place where we feel like, I don't deserve this. This is not meant to be happening to me. Well, I mean, I'm a child of the king, right? Why should I have to be dealing with this? This is not my portion. Well, we're to humble ourselves. None of us are in a place to say we don't deserve this. None of us are in a place to say that this should not be happening to me. Furthermore, maybe we ought to consider what we do deserve. What do we deserve, really and truly? I want you to take a moment to think. I want you to consider what would be in your mind the most serious sin you've ever done, you've ever committed. You personally. Now, for some of you, that ain't going to be hard. Things flood your mind that you have, have long since forgotten. It's under the blood of Christ. And I'm not trying to bring condemnation upon anyone right about now. Because it's under the blood, praise God. But the fact is we're sinners saved by grace. I grew up in church, as many will know. I lived a moral life. At the age of 14, when I gave myself to Christ, I hadn't fornicated, never slept with no one. I'd never smoked weed. I'd never done drugs. drugs. Um, I, I was a moral youth, maybe like many of us. And yet I was very aware of my sinfulness. Very aware of the deceit and the bitterness, hatred, unforgiveness. The way in which I would slander people by talking behind their back. Now these might be morally not very grievous. I mean the police weren't rushing to lock me up. I wasn't on UK's most wanted. But as I gained a revelation of a holy God, I realized that I was a sinner and that I was facing judgment. I deserved hell. I deserved judgment. And it was that fact, that reality, 
that cause me to delight with gratitude at the sight of the old rugged cross. The cross didn't look like much to most people around me at the time. As a 14 year old growing up in South London. Most of my brethren were not interested in the cross. But the Lord had shone his light on my heart. Opened the eyes of my understanding to appreciate that. That old rugged cross. Not even the ice encrusted platinum one that was on the end of the chain. Guys weren't really flossing like that back then. But I'm talking about that old splintered wooden rugged cross that Jesus was nailed to that looked beautiful to me. And I didn't even fully appreciate or understand why apart from the fact that I knew that was my only means of salvation. The only means of me being saved from judgment. Divine retribution. Payback for my sin. Having saved me, I realized that I am kept by God, not by my own works, not by my goodness. And so really, at any point in time, imagine if God were to switch up and change his mind. Now, this is hypothetical because it doesn't happen. God were to switch and say, all right, look, you know what? I gave you salvation, but now you've got to earn the maintenance of it. If you want to keep what you've got, you've got to earn it. And if you flop, you're finished. You're going to get what's coming to you. See, the salvation that I offered you was like, parole yeah I set you free but now you gotta stay free or else you're going back to jail and not only are you gonna go jail for all the crimes you've committed but all the crimes you've ever committed are gonna be piled on top that would be a fearful prospect because we know we sin right Which of us could maintain the salvation that we have, that we've been granted? None of us. And so the just live by faith. It is by faith we've been saved. And it is through faith that we're sustained. Continually trusting in the finished work of Christ. And so if it was down to us at any given point in time, we'd be finished. We would be only deserving of the worst kind of judgment. The worst kind of punishment in this life and in the life to come. And so this must cause us to humble ourselves. Before the sovereign God. Humble ourselves before a holy and mighty God. See this is what John meant when he said. I must decrease. And he must increase. 
He wasn't just talking about his preaching ministry. Well, my ministry's kind of got to just cool down now. You know, I've got to kind of just lean back a bit and, you know, don't be out there so hard preaching and let Jesus now. That wasn't really the, the focal point. That was a byproduct. But the point is, look, you know what? In your eyes, you can't see me as anything. See Jesus as the exalted, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. And in my own eyes, I have to recognize, you know what, I ain't nothing. It was never about me. But it's all about Jesus. And you see, we have to decrease in our own eyes. All this talk about, I don't deserve this. I who? Who are you? Don't you know who I am? No, I don't know who you are. Do you know who you are? Or is it who you think you are? Let us not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. We might want to compare ourselves to one another and feel like, yeah, well, you know, I'm not, you know, as bad looking as that person. I'm not as bad mind as that person or... Regardless of what you think of yourself compared to another, when we compare ourselves to God, there is nothing that we can think of ourselves. Now, psychologists might say that's very um, defeatist and um, self-deflating and we have self-esteem issues and blah, 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 blah. (laughs) It's God that we're dealing with. We're not dealing with man. We're all supposed to have a lack of self-esteem in the sight of God. (laughs) I mean, it's bad enough when you're there at work and you're putting in all the hours and you've got someone who's beside you and they just do like, you know, hardly any work and they're just, they're killing it. They're just getting their work done. You know, that singer who's there trying to get their game together and someone comes in and just makes it look easy. And you kind of feel small. Times that by infinity when we consider God in his perfection. Humble ourselves. Humble ourselves in such a way that we are prepared to receive from the hand of God that which he will permit us to go through. You see, if we don't lay claim to any rights, even the God-given rights that we may have in Christ Jesus, then that won't be a struggle for us. Yes, we do have God-given rights in Christ Jesus, but hey, they're God-given. We don't take them unto ourselves. Any rights that have been conferred upon us by reason of relationship with Christ are God's rights given to us that we enjoy according to his will. And so that always ought to leave us in a place where, like Mary, we're able to say, be it unto me according to your will. 
when Mary said that at the announcement of Jesus' birth, it wasn't just in view of the great honor that she was going to have of giving birth to the Messiah. But in a, in a culture where adultery was punishable by death, she faced social alienation. She was an unmarried woman going to give birth to a child. So it was the rough with the smooth, the good with the bad, the stigma and the status. And yet she said, be unto me according to your will, O Lord. This we have to learn to say. We have to. It is the surest and safest place for us to be. And we can only say that on the basis that we trust God. That we know who God is. You see, when trials comes, James 1 tells us this. When trials comes, the real test is not how strong we are. And how well we're able to resist and, and to, to fight these trials. When trials come, it is our faith that is tested. Knowing this, that the testing of your faith. You see, we can only face any trial through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in the living God. And so when trials come, it's not our, how our emotional stability that's tested. It's not how intellectually able we are at strategizing our way out. It's not a cryptum factor. Share my age. Was it crystal maze? No, that, that's, still, that's still a bit... So what, what they got now then? What is it? Huh? They ain't got nothing on them levels nowadays. <laughs> uh, there ain't nothing on them levels nowadays, is it? Krypton Factor. You know about Krypton Factor. This ain't no university challenge. I heard they would... Paxman. Ah, bloodhound. Don't give the students no let up. God ain't sitting down like Jeremy Paxman when trials come. Watching to see how we respond in our own ability. You don't know the answer. What are they teaching you? No. It's how much do we trust God? How well do we know God? Because to know him is to trust him. It's our faith that is tested. And when we know God... We're able to stand in the midst of any storm. Because we know the God who speaks to the storms. Speaks to the wind and the waves and they obey. We know that God. We know that he is good. Hebrews eleven six. Any who comes to God must know that he is. And he is a rewarder. He is a rewarder. Meaning God is good. God is there and he is good. 
And so in light of that, we can humble ourselves and submit ourselves to God when trials come. Like Job, though he slay me, though he slay me. Now we know when we look at the book of Job, God wasn't slaying Job. The devil was under the permission of the sovereign God. So Satan was merely acting as the go-between. He was an agent. And yet, God permitted it based on the promise. We see it revealed in the New Testament. God has promised never to give us more than we can bear. There's nothing that we go through that we can't go through. Because God is with us and he knows what we can go through. He is confident of his work in us. It's like the jeweler who produces the precious metal. He, 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 he fashions and he shapes the precious metal. And then he puts it in the fire. To purge and to purify it. Knowing that it's not going to be the end of it. Like the jeweler, if he came out of Argos with, with some jewelry, he might think twice about putting it in the fire. Because he'll put it in and it won't come back out. But you know them handcrafted jewelry. Precious metal. You know it's going to sustain, it's going it's to withstand the fire. It's going to withstand the test and come out better for it. And so we're to humble ourselves. You see, in verse 5 of chapter 5, it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And when we're in trial, this is what we need, right? Grace. If we're proud, oh God, why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. I deserve better. You have to, you have to do this, Lord. Or else, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. No. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace, yes, favor, but it also means divine empowerment, divine enablement. If there's anything that we need when we're going through a trial, we need divine enablement, divine strength to withstand, to, to endure, to overcome. And so as we humble ourselves in the hand of the sovereign God, the good God, the loving God, who knows what he's doing, he's in total control, regardless of what the devil's doing. We experience grace. As we trust God, the God that we've come to know and love, we experience grace. Divine enablement. 
I recently received an email um, from Pastor Marshall and his wife Debbie, Docklands Calvary Chapel, and um, it was with regards to a brother that we know, a pastor out in California. Um, his name's Britt Merrick. Great guy, great man of God, great teacher of the word. He's doing a great work in um, Santa Barbara. Is it Santa Barbara? In California. Um, just blessed ministry going on there. And in the email, it gave a link to the just explain the situation that Britt's been going through over the last few weeks where he has a daughter, five years old, I believe, and his daughter collapsed at school. And in fact, his daughter knew she was going to collapse. She wasn't feeling good and she said, look, you know what, to the teachers, five-year-old, you know, um, you need to call 911 and you need to call my, my parents because um, I, I think I need to go into an emergency. And then she collapsed. And they couldn't find out what the problem was initially. And then they gave her scans and so on and so forth. And they found that she had a tumor um, the, the size of a, how could I explain it? Like a, uh, he, he explained it like a mini American football. So, I don't know, six inches and maybe a, six inches in diameter in a five-year-old in, in, in the middle of her, a tumor. And um, there's a video actually on, um, on the web, on his blog. And the week of having received that news and having been in the hospital and going through all of these tests and so on and so forth, um, he got up on the Sunday to, to preach. And, you know, anyone would have thought, wow, listen, fam, you need to just kind of take some time out, be with your family, let someone else preach, whatever. But he was compelled to preach, and he preached a message that when you consider all that he was going through, it was just absolutely phenomenal in its depth and meaning. And he preached about his ability to stand in the face of that trial, in the face of that test, in the face... Of, of having that crushing feeling of helplessness as he watched his daughter there with a tumor. His ability to stand based on the fact that he knows God. And that is by reason of immersing himself in his word. Immersing himself in the word of God. And you see, what we do around here from week to week and what goes on in the fellowships ain't for joke. It's not just because we're trying to be highbrow. It's not because, you know, we don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, which is not true. It's not because we don't love to sing praise in an emotional fashion. The reason we give such emphasis to the word is because the word of God is our strength and our life. It's knowing God, who he is, and how he is toward us, and how we're to be, that helps us when, you know what, we're facing a financial situation and we don't know where the next pound's coming from. 
when our marriage looks like it's about to fragment in front of our eyes. When there's sickness and the doctors don't know what the cause is. When the issues of life come pouring in, our ability to stand is based on how well we know God. How well we know his word, because this is his revelation to us. How much we trust that which God has revealed of himself. And some of us, we falter and we flounder and we flop and we whine and we cry. I don't mean physical tears, but I mean in our souls, we whinge and we whine when we go through trials. Because we're immature. Because we don't really know God. We have a twisted view of God. That God is just some genie that's there to make our lives happy. That's all everybody wants, right? I just want to be happy. What do you want out of life? I just want to be happy. <laughs> but life ain't like that. There are mad moments in life of deep unhappiness. Yeah, you lot ain't serious, man. <laughs> and yet, the immature person, listen, from, a, from an early age, from as, as soon as my kids, before they could even understand, before they could understand what I was saying, one of the first principles I taught them in life was you don't cry for things. You don't whinge and you don't whine for things. Because if that's what you're going to do, you ain't going to get it. You don't cry. Listen. Don't cry for things. Or like my grandma would say, I give you something to cry for. <laughs> And you know, listen, I tell you, and I obviously have to be careful about how I talk about my kids because, you know, kids there. But at the same time, I just feel so blessed and so pleased to be able to say, I feel like I've got the greatest kids in the world. I've never, ever been in a situation where I have felt compelled, I felt pressured emotionally, emotionally manipulated by my children for them to have something. You know, sometimes it can get like that. Oh, the Xbox. All my friends have got it. Oh, they're going to... Oh, when I really want to get this game. Oh. I have never ever had one day of that in my life by God's grace. Because at the end of the day, from the earliest age of their recollection, my kids learned that. You know what? First of all, you don't cry for things. And that, you know what, your parents are good. They love you and they want to bless you. And I don't mean you're going to have everything you want when you want it. And they learn to appreciate that sometimes you need to kind of go without so that in other times you can receive and be blessed. And there are other priorities in life sometimes. And spiritually, we just have to learn that lesson. There are other priorities in our lives sometimes. We're crying and whinging for stuff. And God's like, listen. I'm doing a good work in you right here. I'm providing something for you right here that 
none of that comfort could provide for you. So don't whinge and don't whine and whimper. Just be cool. Humble yourself. And let me do what I'm doing. Good times soon come. Humble ourselves. What did I say? Honest. You see? And that's verse 6. The, 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 the fruit of humility is exaltation. The fruit of humility is exaltation. Standard. I tell you, I can testify. Saints. The fruit of humility is exaltation. Look what was said of Moses. I mean, Moses was the prophet. The deliverer. The type of Christ. And he was the most humble of all people. The fruit of humility is exaltation. You cannot go wrong when you walk in humility. Because he will exalt you, the verse says, in due time. That is a promise. Cast iron. And so verse 7. We cast all our cares upon him. For he cares for us. We can be honest with God. We don't have to front. We don't have to pretend that we're some. Valiant gladiator spiritually. Who's able to just deal with this on our own. You know what? We can be honest. We can cry the eye water before God and say, Lord, this is hard. Help me. We can cast our cares on our Lord because he cares for us. Not that we're whinging and whining trying to manipulate him, to, but we're just saying, Lord, help me. This is a hard situation. This is a tough situation. I need your grace. I need your strength. I need you to do something, Lord, because I can't deal with this. And there is also a sense in which we're to be honest with one another. Because so often we feel compelled to put on that front. How are you? I'm blessed and highly favored in the name of Jesus. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. The first and not the last. Prospered going in and going out. Blessed in the city and in the field. And amen, that is the promises of God to us. I don't belittle that. But we don't have to strive to manufacture the manifestation. I knew what it was like for years. Feeling like there was this whole, there was this, I was talking to the guys last week. Just a whole host of rituals that I had to go through. To ensure that I, I, I walked in a manifestation. That I had to plead the blood every morning and put on the armor of God. And I had to mind my confession. And wow, it was hard work. It was kind of stressful at times. I'm not even going to pretend. But you know what? Those promises are a work of God's grace in our lives. As much as we didn't have to work to gain them, we don't have to 
work to manifest them, to experience them. It is true regardless. We are the head and not the tail. That's true regardless. You could be in the worst place you've ever been in your life. You're still the head and not the tail in the sight of God. You see, if God before you, who can be against you? Compared to the next man with his thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, you're still the head and not the tail compared to him in the sight of God because you're in Christ. But we have to appreciate and recognize that, as it says in Luke 16, God doesn't praise the things that men praise. You see, we define the understanding of those blessings in worldly terms. The head and not the tail means I'm going to be my own boss. I'm not going to work for no one. It don't mean that. You know, there are just, in life, there are times when we're just employees. That's how it works. Does that mean we're not the head and not, we're the head? And, of course, we're still the head. In spiritual terms. So we don't have surplus millions in the bank. We don't have a big house fully detached with a double garage. We don't have status. And the list goes on. Does that mean that we're not the head? We are. But it's not defined by worldly terms. It's defined by God's perspective. His terms. And so we can cast our care honestly. And we can be honest with one another. So like some of you guys have asked, you know, how's Chloe doing? And I'll just be honest, you know what? She's been struggling. She's been struggling. She's in pain. But you know what? I know my Redeemer lives. I know I serve a mighty God. So, you know what? I ain't cast down. I'm not knocked out. I'm not about to throw in the towel. You know, put on the, um, the robe. Take off my gloves. Call it a day. Flee from the fight. No. Because I know, as Harry's email today went out, we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And in addition to being honest, we are to be hard-bodied. Hard body. Hmm. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil is looking for opportunity to come at the people of God. That's why I say by default, you are in a war. If you're like me, you don't like conflict. You don't like contention. But you know what? Spiritually, 
That is, at, that is on the agenda. Because we're in Christ. And by reason of being in Christ, we have an enemy, an opponent, an adversary. And the more committed we are, and the more serious we are, the higher up his ranking of most wanted we go. Now, I believe that's a, a reality. That Satan has his most wanted. Remember in the, in the book of Acts, there were the seven sons of Sceva. Who took it upon them bright self to try and cast out a demon. And the demon gave them some back chat. And a little more than that as well. Paul I know. Jesus I know. But who the dickens are you? <laughs> Run them. Beat them. And there is a true sense in which as we walk in the purpose and the grace of God that we become known in the realm of the spirit. Paul I know. Paul was someone that they ought to know. The spreader was doing damage. I believe that Calvary Chapel, South London, you know what? We're known. We're known and we're wanted. I'm not trying to say we're better than anyone else. We've got mad flaws. But we're serious about this thing. And so we can't think it's strange that we go through fiery trials. We have an adversary. We have an opponent. We have an enemy who is walking about like a lion stalking its prey. <laughs> Seeking whom he may devour. And that word devour means to to wear down, to grind down, to powder and swallow whole. See, this is one of the 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 the, the, the wiles of the enemy, one of the, the strategies that he would grind us down, that he would wear us down to the point where we just throw up our hands in the field. Oh, can't take no more. <laughs> That swallow us. But we're to be hard bodied. We're not to get worn down easily. Furthermore, we're to resist. To resist him. Steadfast in the faith. Steadfast in the faith. Strong in the understanding and reality of that body of truth that God has revealed of himself. That causes us to trust him. We're to man up. To grit our teeth. To stand firm. And as Paul said in Ephesians, having done all to stand, to stand. And regardless of what comes against us, we say, you know what? I'm not going out like that. 
I know the God who I serve. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and are safe. And so I stand strong in the faith. Immovable in the faith. Because I know the God that I serve. We're to be hard. We're to be firm. We're to reflect on those situations that the Lord has brought us through. And we're to stand firm, knowing that God is faithful. How are we to resist? By means of the word. We see that in Matthew 4. We see Jesus entirely submitted to the will of the Father. In Matthew 4 verse 1, it says that Jesus was led up by the devil into the wilderness to be tempted. Is that what it says? No. It says Jesus was led up by the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tested, to be tried, to be evaluated. He was led. Jesus, unlike us, did not have any lusts that caused him to be enticed and drawn away. Pure, without sin. See, James tells us that we are drawn away of our own enticing lusts when we find ourselves in temptation, in trial. Or we may fall into trial, temptation, But Jesus had no inherent weakness in that way. And so, as a humble servant to the will of the Father, he submitted himself to the unction of the Spirit, the moving of the Spirit, leading him to be tested. We see the picture of humility, the picture of submission. The devil comes at Jesus and he brings a three-pronged attack. He challenges Jesus to chow down, to throw down, and to bow down. And Jesus' response was purely and simply to present the word of God. The sword that the Holy Spirit swings, Ephesians tells us. And when we're in the Heat of the battle, we're to just stand on the word of God, bathe ourselves in the word of God, declare the word of God, knowing that the Holy Spirit uses it on our behalf, swinging it. To set back the work of the enemy. And so here is our weapon, primarily having a humble attitude, an honest approach, 
we're able to be hard and it might mean us focusing and meditating on some scriptures and committing to memory some scriptures speaking some scriptures forth speaking it out like David when he'd say bless talk to himself bless the Lord oh my soul come on come on come on let's bless God and all that's within me bless his holy name and he had to stir himself up There are times when we need to do this. And as we do so, you know, the Lord says, bring me in remembrance of my word. Like he forgets, right? It's not for his benefit, it's for ours. It's for our benefit. As we recall and reiterate the word of God, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Our ability to trust God. Is motivated and stimulated. By his word. His revelation of himself to us. And as we do so. We are waging war. Against the wiles of the enemy. So, be humble, be honest, be hard-bodied. Endure hardship as a good soldier, Paul said to Timothy. This is how we wage the war. As we pray, we pray forth the word. We proclaim the word of God. We praise God. These are the weapons of our warfare. They're not carnal. They're not just earthly. They're not fleshly. They're spiritual. And mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And those strongholds are first in our own hearts and minds. It deals with the wrong view we have, have of God. Puts us in the right place to allow God to do what he's going to do. Because he's only going to do good. Thank the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you because... You have provided us with all that is necessary. We thank you, Lord, for your word. For the complete nature of your word. As you've expressed, you have given us all things that relate to life and godliness. There's, there's nothing concerning our lives that is lacking, that's missing from your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us a heart to seek after you.
And Lord, as we face trials, Lord, and as we face hardship, and as we face temptation, Lord, we seek to stand. Having done all to stand, to stand. And Lord, sometimes it's hard. And sometimes it brings us to our knees. And sometimes that's the very place you want us to be. On our knees in complete reliance upon you. Complete dependence upon you. So that you can work in us and through us and for us. Have your way, Lord, in our lives. Help us, Lord, as a church family. As we go through trials, Lord, help us, Lord, I pray. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to be renewed in strength. Lord, I pray that you would give us strength for the fight, Lord. That, Lord, we would see, see you for who you really are. Know that you are good. That we would see ourselves in the light of you and that we would humbly submit to you, knowing that you are good. That we would call on you to work in our behalf. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Because you haven't forsaken us. We thank you, Lord, because you are near to us, Lord. And you are touched by the feelings of our weaknesses. And yet you've got higher priorities that you're working out. And so have your way, Lord, I pray. Help us to walk in obedience to your word. To learn the lessons, Lord, that experience teaches. That wisdom, Lord, that comes through experience. Because sometimes, Lord, we get into these situations because of our own doing. And sometimes it's just... You've led us into it. Sometimes we've fallen into it unintentionally. But either way, Lord, we know that you uphold us by your right hand of power. That you're faithful, Lord. You're faithful to heal, Lord. You're faithful to deliver. You're faithful to redeem, to free. You're faithful, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness towards us. Help us, Lord, as we encourage and comfort one another. Jesus' name. Amen.